Oh, Lord God, you are a God of change. While you do not change, you desire change in us. So teach us, Lord, to understand and know how you go about changing us to be the people that you desire us to be, shaped more and more into the image of Christ our Savior. In his name we pray, amen. Grace to you and peace from the Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Let me ask you, what do you want to change in your life? Maybe you've developed a bad habit and you know it. It's hung around a while and you know in your heart of hearts it's time to change that, whatever it is. Maybe there's a bad relationship that needs some work, some improvement. Maybe it's a bad attitude you've taken on. Maybe there's a bad situation that you know needs to change soon. Maybe it's a bad decision. What is it that you look at and you say, yes, by golly, this has got to change? You know, if you think about it, our society tends to offer quick, instant change. I mean, think about it. We pick up our TV remote and we can easily change to a hundred or more different channels just with a click, click, click. We can expose ourselves to all different kinds of information with a click, click, click. With our smartphones, we can change apps with a tap, tap, tap and draw all kinds of information into our lives with a tap, tap, tap. We put food in a microwave oven and heat it up with a zap, zap, zap and we got dinner, right? And, and with all of that quick fix stuff, it's, it's almost like we're... We, we tend to think that all of the change in our lives should happen that way. It should all happen quickly. But what we're really going to learn today is how God changes us and that he does it through a process. We're in the book of Exodus in this sermon series. Today we're focusing on how God changes us. As we look at the story of Moses and how God changed Moses. We're going to see that God used a process to bring about change in Moses' life. And it didn't happen with a zap, zap, zap or a click, click, click. In fact, all godly change is a process. And godly change takes time. What kind of godly change do you need God to do in your life? Well, let's look at the book of Exodus. We go back to Exodus 2 for a moment where, where it tells us that one day when Moses was 40 years old, he saw an Egyptian beating an Israelite. Remember, the Israelites had been enslaved in Egypt, were being mistreated, and Moses sees this Egyptian beating an Israelite. And what does Moses do? He strikes rather mm, suddenly and he kills the Egyptian. Well, the next day, he sees two Israelites fighting with each other, and Moses intervenes and confronts the one who who caused it, and and that one, instead of being, uh, um, you know, uh, appreciative of what Moses has done, he says, uh, will you kill me just as you did the Egyptian? Ooh, word was out. The word was out. And if Pharaoh finds out, 
Moses would be taken out. And so Moses hightails it out of Egypt and flees to the land of Midian. And there he ends up working for his father-in-law, Jethro, for 40 years. And that's where we find Moses in Exodus chapter 3, verse 1, where it says, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. Now, you've got to think about this, friends. This is not a part-time job. This is not a short-term job. This is 40 years of dealing with sheep. For 40 years, Moses' entire focus is on sheep, taking care of the sheep, leading them to pasture, making sure they get enough water, making sure they're shorn at the proper time. Sheep are not particularly pleasant to be around. Frankly, they stink. And he spends not just a little bit of time, he spends time day in, day out for 40 years with the sheep. Sheep, sheep, and more sheep. It's kind of like he sort of got into a rut. I think he sort of got comfortable just taking care of sheep. And God had other plans in mind. God was about to introduce some change in Moses' life. He was about to get him out of this rut, this 40-year rut of taking care of sheep. You know, that can happen to us too, can it? We can get in ruts of different kinds, different habits that we fall into. Maybe we become overly critical of other people, and that kind of sets a pattern for how we deal with others. We tend to be critical, judgmental. Or maybe spending is out of control and we've fallen in a rut, into a rut of overspending. Or maybe you've lost your ambition to study the Bible and sort of fallen into a rut of uh, hmm, laissez-faire when it comes to your practicing your faith. Maybe you've fallen into a rut of uh, not really, you know, hard on following Jesus every day, but sort of becoming hmm, nonchalant about it? Is it time for some godly change in your life? Well, change happens through a process. And the process of change, according to this story with Moses, it begins with God's presence. When we see how God changes Moses, it begins with God's presence in Moses' life. Exodus 3, 1 says, Moses led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Let's pause there for a second. So Moses is taking care of his father-in-law's sheep. He brings them to Mount Horeb. Now, Mount Horeb is the same as Mount Sinai, where some years later, Moses is going to receive the commandments from God. Mount Sinai where the people of God will be brought into a covenant with God. Same mountain. There's Moses. He brings the sheep to Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai, and it says in Exodus 3, verse 2, there the angel of the Lord appeared to him. The angel of the Lord appeared to him. Another word for angel is messenger. It means the same thing, the word translated, malach angel or messenger, the messenger of the Lord. 
appeared to him. Now, I want you to understand, this is no ordinary messenger that appears to Moses. This is nothing less than the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, in his pre-incarnate state, who appears there at Mount Horeb with Moses. You might say this is Jesus before he was born in Bethlehem. This is the pre-incarnate Christ who speaks to Moses at the mountain. Exodus 3 verse 2 goes on to say, The messenger of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Okay, so this is no ordinary messenger, and this is no ordinary fire either. Moses sees this bush, but it's not being consumed by the fire. This is a very unique kind of fire. This is the fire of God. It's interesting how many times throughout the Bible we see the fire of God showing up. God would lead the Israelites through the wilderness with a pillar of fire. The fire of God appears when God calls various people like Gideon or the prophet Amos. The fire of God appears when Jesus calls his disciples on the day of Pentecost and flames of fire appear on their heads. Jesus even says that we are baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire, the fire of God. Why fire? Well, think about it. What happens when there's fire? Something changes. And the fire of God always brings about good change, not destructive change. God addresses Moses, gets his attention. And what does Moses say? The word in Hebrew is Hinani. Translated means, here I am. Hinani. Hinani means, here I am, God, I'm at your service. You could say, Hinani means, in the words of that good Lutheran hymn, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Hinani, here I am. It means, Lord, here I am, I'm ready to change. Are you ready to say, Hinani, Lord, here I am, I'm ready to change? Well, little did Moses know just how much God was intending to change him, but he would soon find out. The story goes on in verses 7 and 8. It says, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, And I am concerned about their suffering, so I have come down to rescue them. Wow. Look what God says he's going to do. First of all, he says, I have seen their misery. I am concerned about their suffering. We have a God who doesn't stay off in the distance unconcerned about what's going on in our lives. Just as he saw the suffering of his people of old, he sees you and me as well. He sees our suffering and he cares. He's concerned about what we're going through. He sees our needs, he sees our pain, and he loves us right where we are. Whatever it is, he loves us right where we are. But then notice what he says next. He says, I have come down to rescue them. 
You see, yes, God loves us right where we are, but, he got, but God also loves us too much to leave us there. I came down to rescue them, he says, to do something about their problem. And yes, indeed, God came down for you and me as well. He came down for us in the person of his son, our Savior Jesus, born in Bethlehem for us. And he comes down to us in various ways, in the fire of his word that speaks to us, the fire of holy communion and baptism by which he makes us more and more like Christ. He comes down to us to fire us up, to fire us up with greater devotion and passion and love for Jesus. So the process of change begins with God's presence, his holy fire in our lives. The process of change continues with God's plan, his presence, and secondly, his plan. Exodus 3, 9, and 10 says, The cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go. Here's his plan. Go, Moses. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. God has a plan. Now, (laughs) for Moses at age 40 in Exodus 2, okay, but Moses at age 80 in Exodus 3, mm, not so much. He's not all that excited about doing this. Moses replies, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God has this plan, and it involves Moses, and his response is, who am I to do that? Now, notice what, how God responds to what Moses said. God doesn't say, Moses, where is your self-confidence? No, he doesn't say that. He doesn't say, you know, where is your get-up-and-go, Moses? He doesn't say, Moses, you can do anything if you just put your mind to it, mind over matter. No, he doesn't say that. He doesn't say, come on, Moses, beat them, bust them, make that your custom. No. (laughs) God doesn't say any of that. Why? Because it's not about Moses, and it's not about us. He doesn't say that because... The question, who am I, is always the wrong question. Always. But that was Moses' question. Who am I to do that? That's the wrong question. You see, when when we want to change and when we realize we need change, who am I is dead wrong. The right question is, God, who are you? Who are you and what? can you do? And who is this God? Well, he is the God who changes us through a process, asking us to live by faith, to trust him who has all things in control. Now, Exodus 3 verse 12, God says, I will be with you. Critically important. I will be with you. You're not going to do this on your own, Moses. I will be with you. And then he says, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, 
you will, that is, you all will worship God on this mountain. He promises this is going to be the sign for you. You'll all end up worshiping on this mountain. Two, two important things God says right there. First of all, the fact that he says, I will be with you. That makes all the difference for Moses. And that makes all the difference for you and me, friends. When God calls us to change, he doesn't sit back and say, okay, you're on your own, good luck. No, he says, I will be with you. I will be your strength and your power to change. And the second part is is just as important, but it's a little bit shocking. Basically, God says, okay, I'm going to give you a sign that all of this is, is, is on the up and up. You're going to worship on this mountain in the future. Now, as human beings, that doesn't set well with us, does it? We, we don't like a sign in the future to verify something for us. We want something right now to convince us of God's plan. I want to see it now. I'm not willing to wait to see a sign in the future. But we need to remember Change is a process that takes place one step at a time. And God is basically saying, okay, you will see my plan unfold over time when you keep on saying, Hinani, here I am, Lord. I'm open to whatever you have in mind. Hinani, here I am. And so God is calling us to take steps forward in change. And he promises to go with us. He challenges us to keep taking steps, one step at a time, knowing that he'll be there now and into the future. What steps do you need to take? Maybe you need to keep taking some steps toward getting your finances straightened out, getting out of debt or whatever. Maybe you need to take some steps in repairing that relationship that needs some fixing, bringing about some healing over some broken hearts. Maybe you need to take some steps in changing the language you use if you've fallen into a bad habit of bad language. Maybe you need to take some steps toward being more considerate with the people you work with or the people that you're around, maybe even your own family members. But you see, it's it's taking one step at a time, realizing that, yes, we will eventually get to the mountain. It'll all be verified. But let's, let's be honest, change is scary. Have you ever had the experience where maybe you've been a, in a, at a barn or on a farm or maybe even in your own backyard and there was a piece of plywood laying on the ground and it had been there a while and you went to lift up the piece of plywood and underneath was all kinds of critters, bugs, lizards, snakes, whatever, and you immediately drop it and run away, right? You want nothing to do with that mess. It's just too scary. Well, change can be like that, ugly and scary. And they say the only ones who really like change are babies with wet diapers, right? Change is scary. We don't want to deal with it. And so we run away from it and we settle for a life of plain vanilla. Don't upset the apple cart. 
We climb back into the comfortable rut that we were in for so many years. And our model becomes, come weal, come woe, my status is quo. I don't want to change. But God has a process of change. It involves his presence. It involves his plan. And thirdly, it involves his provision. He will provide what is needed for the change to happen. You know, when we look at the story of Moses, Moses gives four excuses why he won't change. His first excuse is, Lord, I don't know your name. I don't know your name. So I go to Pharaoh. What do I say? Who should I say sent me to you? I don't know your name. And God provides Moses his name. I am. I am. And we can't miss the significance of that name. Jesus himself is the great I am. Here is the pre-incarnate Christ saying, my name is I am. And centuries later, Jesus would come on the scene and say the same thing. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. Before Abraham was born, I am, Jesus said. He is the great I am, and he has given you and me his name. And with the name I am, with the name of Jesus, we can face anything the world would throw at us. Second, the second excuse that Moses gives is, Israel's leaders won't believe me. They're not going to believe me. After all, look what I did. I killed an Egyptian. Well, God provides two miracles for Moses. He enables him to take his rod, the the staff, and have it turn into a snake and then back into a staff again to demonstrate the power of God. And then secondly, he gave him the miracle of a leprous hand that would then be healed, thereby demonstrating that God had the power to do anything and verify that to Israel's leaders that Moses was blessed by God. Well, we have some miracles to point back to, don't we? Nothing less than the cross of our Savior that removes our sin, the resurrection of Jesus that assures us of life everlasting. What greater miracles could there be than what Jesus did for you and me on Calvary's Hill? A third excuse Moses gives is, I'm not a fluent speaker. I don't know what to say. I'm not a fluent speaker. And God provides his brother Aaron, who is a good speaker. And it reminds us, friends, that when we feel our own weaknesses, God gives us each other with various talents and abilities and skills to help each other when we are seeking change in our life. We have one another to rely on, to lean on. That's what the body of Christ is about, being there for each other. And the fourth excuse that Moses gives is, Somebody else should do this because somebody else could do it better than me. God says, Moses, here's my plan. You are the man. God has a plan for you too. And God will provide what is needed for whatever change you need in your life. So let me ask, what are your excuses for not wanting to change? Maybe it's, God, I'm too old. I've been doing this a long time. I am too old to change. 
Or maybe it's, I'm too young. I haven't lived life long enough. I don't want to change yet. I'm too young. Or maybe it's, I'm too messed up. God couldn't possibly do anything with me. My train left the station a long time ago. My ship sailed years ago. It's too late for me. Or I'm too far gone to change. Well, let me tell you, God himself has made the ultimate provision for our greatest need. Our greatest need was our sin that brings with it death and, if it was unchecked, damnation. But God provided the ultimate need, the ultimate provision for our great need by sending Jesus into the world to die on a cross for you and for me and to rise from the dead to guarantee our salvation through faith in Jesus as our Savior, to guarantee that on the last day we too will rise from the dead. Death will not defeat us in the end. You see, the voice from the bush is the voice of the Lord's messenger, Jesus, who says, this is how much I love you as I stretch out my hands and die for you. Who says, this is my promise to you. I will be with you always to the end of the age. I shed my blood for you, and I am not finished with you. Let me work change in your life. I was reading recently about uh, Napoleon Bonaparte. In the early 19th century, Napoleon was in the middle of a huge battle. And his officers said, if we don't retreat now, we'll be annihilated. So Napoleon called his bugler and ordered him, sound the retreat. Well, the 14-year-old bugler began to cry, and Napoleon commanded him again, sound the retreat. The bugler replied, I was never taught how to sound a retreat. I was only taught how to sound an advance. In that case, Napoleon commanded, sound an advance. The bugler sounded an advance, and history records that Napoleon won that particular battle. Friends, in, in this story we learn that sounding the advance is what God is all about. You see, you may be calling on God to sound a retreat, but he only knows how to sound an advance. It's called the fire of God, and that fire of God makes positive change. God is determined to change us through his presence, through his loving provision through his plan for our lives. Let me ask, do you see it? It's the fire of God. And do you hear his call for change? If you hear it, what shall we say? How about saying this? Hinani, here I am, Lord. Change me. Amen. May the peace of God which passes human understanding Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.